Good morning. Uh, you guys can do better than that. Come on. It's great to be here. Glad to see all of you here and those join us on uh, live stream. First, I, oh, he's not here, but uh, now she's hiding from me. There she is. I want to brag on two people before I get started this morning. I want to say something and give a shout out to Rashonda, our youth minister, and also Trey, who helps her in that endeavor. Uh, great job last night. You want to come up here and say a few words? No. <laughs> but I just want to say as your pastor, uh, I greatly appreciate the work you and Trey are doing back there. There was a part of the skits that was a cardboard testimony. And if you were there, I want you to know that each cardboard uh, that had a testimony was that kid's own personal testimony. Some of them were quite powerful. I'll tell you, it takes a lot of courage to get up in front of people, some of you do not know, and some of your own family members, and hold up a testimony what God has done in your life. Very proud of you guys. The Great Rhyme Press, Revelation chapter 14, verses 14 through 20. In this world, there have been many battles, conflicts, Wars fought. In fact, during the 20th century, there was not a year that went by that did not have some type of conflict that took place within the 20th century. In fact, the 20th century has been described as the bloodiest, costliest century of warfare in human history. There were, what, uh, about 22 years and about three months into the 23rd, oh, excuse me, the 21st century, and this century is not looking too good either. There are many conflicts around the world. Some make the news, some do not. But there's constantly conflict happening somewhere on the face of the, on the, face of the planet. Now in Scripture, the last conflict that will take place upon this world is described as one who troddens in a wine press. Now, what does it mean to trodden? It's a good question. It means to beat or to press with feet, subdue or repress anything as if by trampling. So when you trodden, it's not just simply walking, you're stomping as you go. That's what it means to trodden the wine press. Look at verse 14. It talks about the great wine press of the wrath of of God. Now, Revelation chapter 16, verse 16, we find out where this battle will take place. They gather them together to the place which in Hebrew is called Armageddon. Now, with this in mind, talking about this last conflict, this wine press illustration, where it's going to take place, I invite you to consider what we find in Revelation chapter 19 that describes Christ when he returns, but specifically verse 15. Listen to what it says about Christ. From his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, and he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty. Jesus stomping the winepress of the fierce wrath of God. You don't hear Jesus described like that very much anymore. 
You hear about the loving, forgiving Savior that He is. But a lot of times we forget that there is a judgment and wrath coming. Why? Because He is holy. Jesus came to earth the first time to reconcile us to God. To save us from the wrath to come. What is reconciliation? Reconciliation is to end the estrangement that is caused by sin, the separation, the hostility, and the alienation that comes when we sin against God. It separates us, it estranges us from our Creator. But God took care of that through His Son Christ when Christ first came to earth. Romans chapter 5, verses 8 through 10. God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having been justified by his blood, listen to this, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. If you want to escape the wrath of God, be saved from the wrath of God, Jesus. That's what we celebrate here every time we meet together is the finished work of Christ on his cross for the forgiveness of sins, that we may escape the wrath of God. The reason I can say that about myself is nothing I have done or nothing I ever could do. It's all because of the shed blood of Christ that I can enter into heaven. It's not because I'm a pastor. It's not because I'm white. It's not because I'm a Baptist minister. Those things, don't, they fail in comparison to my status as a son of God because of what Jesus has done for me. Now here comes the other side of that. I must warn you that judgment is coming. Just because it hasn't happened yet, don't think God can't do anything or you won't do anything. No, he's very patient. He is long-suffering. He is waiting for everyone to hear the gospel. Everyone have the opportunity to respond. But he is coming back. And he will judge the nations. Now, if you look back at our text, the harvest of verses 14 through 16 is depicted in terms of the harvesting of wheat. Look at verse 14. Sitting on the cloud was one like son of man, or the son of man, having a golden crown, which is a victor's crown in this case, on his head. And he's speaking of the exalted Christ because Christ calls himself or refers to himself as the son of man back in Revelation chapter 1, verses 12 through 20. You find him referring to himself as the son of man in the Gospels. That is a title... For Christ, that's him sitting on the cloud. Now some will prefer to identify this person, this being on the cloud, as an angel because of what he's told to do. Look at verse 15. Angel came out to the temple crying with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, put your sickle in and reap. They said, well, angel cannot command the Son of God to do anything. I would say that's much more of an announcement than it is a command. And look what he has in his hand. Look back at verse 14. He has a sharp sickle in his hand. You'll see a picture of it. It's a gathering hook. You use a harvest. Now, this is one could be handheld. Sometimes it could be held on a long staff. You could swing it a long way. But that's what it is. Now, that's kind of rusty. That's an old one that archaeologists have, have found. But that's what it is. That's what a sickle is. 
Now, because I didn't grow up growing crops, all I had to go look this up to make sure I was right. Hey, I'm honest, sometimes I don't know, so I go looking. But that's what he's holding in his hand, and it says a sharp sickle in his hand. Now, why do we refer to this as harvesting of wheat? You see that word ripe? I'm going to try to pronounce this right. I may get it wrong. It's the Greek word zerano. It means to dry out. So it's used to describe grain as grain ripens, it dries. And nowhere in Scripture you see wheat being symbolized as the wicked. Rather, it's referring to the righteous. Now, bear with me. When Christ came the first time, many believed that he would bring in the kingdom of God. However, in Matthew chapter 13, Jesus teaches people a parable that his kingdom will not immediately come to pass. That will be inaugurated and will continue for a time as incomplete. It will not be consummated. Therefore, you'll have righteous and unrighteous living side by side. Specifically in Matthew chapter 13, verses 28 and following, telling about the parable, he said to them, an enemy has done this, talking about the tares growing with the wheat. The slave said to him, do you want us then to go and gather them up? But he said, no, for while you're gathering up the tares, you might uproot the wheat with them. Allow both to grow together until the harvest, and in time of harvest I will say to the reapers, First, gather up the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them up. But gather the wheat into my barn. Now later in Matthew chapter 13, when the crowds leave, he goes in the house, he explains this parable to the disciples. Let's pick it back up now in Matthew 13, verse 39 and following. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. So just as the tares are gathered up and burned with fire, so shall it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send forth his angels... And they will gather out his kingdom, all stumbling blocks, and those who commit lawlessness, and, be thrown them, and will throw them into the furnace of fire. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So based on that parable, my position is he's talking about wheat. In this case, I will say this wheat is talking about those who are righteous. Now some will tell you that this is actually depicting the reaping of the wicked on the last day. And they find out, they, they, excuse me, they argue that on the basis of Joel chapter 3, verses 9 through 16, which they say is the Old Testament passage behind verses 14 and 16 of Revelation chapter 14. That's because when Joel prophesied the coming judgment, he describes it as a twofold harvest. The outpouring of the wrath of God is both a harvest of grain and the treading of grapes in a wine press. So you look at Joel chapter 3, specifically verse 13. Put in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. There's that Greek word again, ripe. Come, tread, for the wine press is full. The vats overflow, for the wickedness is great. So they argue that what's true for Joel 3 must be true for Revelation 14. And the context of these verses, you have judgment before uh, verse 14 and after verse 16, you have judgment. So some say, well, based on that, this has to be the judgment of the wicked. But perhaps in these verses, 14 through 20, you see a hybrid of Joel chapter 3 and Matthew 13 coming together. So what am I trying to say? I'm saying based on Matthew 13 and the parable which Jesus talks about, I would say this is more like the gathering of some righteous people in the last time. Now the rest of the, the passage is pretty self-explanatory. We'll get there in a moment.
some type of uh, harvest after the tribulation, because this is all happening before Christ returns, the reign of Christ. So apparently during the tribulation, people will come to Christ, although during that time it's going to be very difficult. Many people will die for their faith. It's going to be a horrible time to be here, which backs up to say, what do you believe about the rapture? Is it going to be before the tribulation, in the middle of the tribulation, or after the tribulation? Now, if you want to talk about that, come to a table talk, because I don't have time to explain, go into all that. Depends on your view on that. But let's not miss the forest for the trees. The main point is this. There's only two places you can go. There's judgment that's going to come. There's only two places you can go, heaven or hell. And how you get to heaven is not by church attendance. It's not by tithing. It's not by doing all these good things. It's about having a relationship with Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, have a relationship with him and his Father through Christ. That's what makes the difference. Simply that. We don't do anything to obtain that relationship. We do everything because of that relationship. Now we get to a a hard place to read because the harvest of verses 17 through 20 is from a vineyard. Look what he says in verse 20. The wine press was trodden outside the city, and that's a reference to Jerusalem. It says later in verse 20, blood came out from the wine press up to the horse's bridles. For a distance of 200 miles, or some translations will say 180 to 200 miles. So basically, it's talking about a river of blood, approximately 180 to 200 miles long. And I talked to my wife about this because she knows about more horses than I do. Approximately, horses bridle five feet. Let's do the average. That's how deep it would be. Can you wrap your mind around a, a, a river of blood like that? That's what the Bible describes. Although the text does not call it a river. It just describes blood flowing like grape juice from an overflowing wine press. Dearly beloved, this is symbolizing the great and final judgment of God. Simply put. So in light of this, what should we do? We're getting close in the book of Revelation that the final judgment is God's going to be poured upon this place. What should we do? Well, first thing we must do is believe what the Word of God says about the end times. That Christ will indeed come again to bring his people safely home. He will judge the ungodly. And God has revealed this through his prophets through the Christ. And by the way, when you read your Bible, it says Jesus Christ in the Greek, there's the definite article, the. Because Christ is a title. It's not his last name. Jesus the Messiah. Jesus the Anointed One. He's revealed that through, through Christ and also through his word. This passage, along with many others we could turn to this morning, should make us, should make us, run for shelter in the arms of Christ. It should push us Drive us, motivate us to the cross of Christ. Now this passage in and by itself does not reveal how we can escape the wrath of God. As the Apostle Paul would say, the law is our tutor. It forces us and shows us a need for a Savior. I've done this many times. How many people in this room, and if you're watching at home, do this as well, 
How many people have ever told a lie? If you're not raising your hand, you're lying right now. One of the the Ten Commandments, do not bear false witness. Now, just bear in mind, we just admitted that we are liars. You ever taken God's name in vain? The very holy God that gave you breath and gave you life. You ever came out as a filthy cuss word when someone cut you off in traffic? Or you hit your uh, thumb with a hammer or you got mad? You ever done that? Now remember, you just admitted you're a liar. That's only two out of the ten. And the Bible says the book of James, you break one, you break them all. The point I'm trying to make is that we're all sinners. I don't have any more position with God than you do. I have more responsibility because of the position God has allowed me to have. And he will hold me accountable for every word that I speak, preach from this pulpit and tell people about his word. I have to be accountable for that. And quite frankly, when I think about it long enough, I'm almost too scared to step in here because of the responsibility which he has given me. We read this before, Romans chapter 5 tells us how we can escape the wrath of God. What can we do? Well, God has already demonstrated his love towards us. Christ died for every last woman, man, and child. We were still sinners. Now we are justified by his blood because when Christ lived, he never committed one sin. He has experienced everything that we do. He has walked a mile in your shoes, yet he did it without any sin. And his blood covers our sins. So that we could be saved from the wrath of God. Not only that, but through his life, we shall be saved. See, it all comes back to Christ. Christ, it's all because of Christ. We all have sinned against God and we deserve his judgment and wrath. But we have a tendency to make light of our sin. We must never do so because in this one passage, we see the severity of God's judgment. I mean, you can't get more vivid than what the, the scripture says. How seriously God takes it. And do you understand that his judgments are right and just? If his judgments are right and just, as we see in Revelation chapter 14, 14 through 20, what does it say about the severity of our sin? We have fooled ourselves into thinking that we're good. By nature, we are sinners. We have sinned against God, our Creator failing to love him as we should, and failing to love our neighbor as we should. Who's your neighbor? Look around you. That's your neighbor. Go outside, go up and down the streets. That's your neighbor. In fact, there's a very strong parable Jesus talked about, the Samaritan, the good Samaritan as we refer to it. Samaritans and Jews did not like each other very much. Jews considered Samaritans half-people. They would consider they were really people. They hated them so much. And when Jesus is telling that parable, he's talking to an Orthodox Jewish audience. And he first tells, a Levite came by. This guy was robbed. 
on the Jericho Road, a road notoriously known for people being robbed and mugged and shot. Kind of like certain places of town we like to avoid. This Levite would know the law, but when he walks by, he doesn't simply just walk by. He goes way out of his way. Doesn't come nowhere near that guy and walks by him like he's not even there. And then a priest comes by, does exactly the same thing. You can imagine his audience was going, what's going on? What's wrong with you? They know better. And then he says, a Samaritan. Don't you know that people got really attentive when that came out of his mouth? A Samaritan. He won't do nothing. And a Samaritan goes over, nurses the person's wounds, gets them to a place so he can receive care, and says, here, take care of them. Let me know how much I owe you. I'll come back and settle the bill. That's Tim's paraphrase of the scripture. Think. <laughs> I'm going to say this. It may get me in trouble. That would have had the force to that audience. The same thing of me going to a KK rally and telling them Klansman, that person over there you call the N-word, that is your neighbor. People we don't even like or associate with, that's our neighbor. We are to love the Lord our God with what? With all our heart, with our mind, with all our soul, with all our strength. And to love our neighbor as ourselves. Jesus says in the Gospels, you can sum up all the commands in those two. And if you look at the Ten Commandments, the first Listed are our relationship to God, and then the others are by relationship to each other. See, we stand guilty before God, and we will be utterly hopeless if it wasn't for the grace of God. The grace of God. It's a song I've been listening to. It says, if it wasn't for my failures and mistakes... I would never know how deep his grace goes. I don't care what you have done. I don't care where you have been. I don't care what you look like. I don't care how much money you make. I don't care what kind of education you have. All those boundaries that our society places around us and groups us individuals, those all fade away at the foot of the cross. You simply come you repent, and you confess. And by the way, you're not going to tell him anything he doesn't already know. I've said this before. you have any dark secrets that people don't know about? Some things you've done that you're not real happy about? Guess who knows about them? God does. And guess what? He loves you in spite of what he knows about you. This is the time for mercy and grace and forgiveness because a time is coming when judgment will take place. So since as a believer in Christ, we have been justified by grace alone, through faith alone, let us continue to strive or go all out to keep the commandments of God. Let us worship Him alone. Let us worship him as it's prescribed in his word. Let us bring, us bring him honor and not shame. Let us refrain from all ungodly behavior and let us always speak the truth in love. 
That's what we should encourage each other to do every Sunday that we meet. Everything that we sing, everything that we do is to point to Christ. And to illustrate this, this the step further, bear with me. I'm down here with the rest of you. I'm no better than anybody in this room. I have more responsibility. But if God can save me from the depths of hell, cleanse me up, and then turn around and make me a minister of his word, I'm telling you, he can change you too. I've seen it too many times. He can reconcile relationships. He can restore. You know who the biggest obstacle is? Yourself. Pride gets in the way. How do I know that? (laughs) It's a problem I have. We must run to Christ. Embrace the cross. And echo the words of the Apostle Paul that we find in Galatians chapter 6 verse 14. But may it never be that I would boast except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Which through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Now, I have the benefit of being able to go to seminary, but I cannot boast in all those things. If I'm going to boast in something, I'm going to boast in the cross. Because the cross makes everything possible. Where are you at today? Where is your walk with God? This revelation is going to get even more intense as we finish out the book. It's warning. God is warning us what's going to happen. But he's made a way possible to escape it all. And you need to make that decision right here and right now. Because there are two things, or more than two, but two important things you have no control over. You never know when Christ is going to return. Christ says, no one knows. He doesn't know. The angels don't know. Only God the Father knows. And you don't know the time of your physical death here on earth. Just because you're older than me doesn't mean you have less time. Just because I'm younger than some of you doesn't mean I have more time. We're closer now than we were five minutes ago. Wouldn't it be better to make sure that you're right with God now? Why you have the opportunity. And for us who are believers, we're all sinners. We've all fallen short somewhere. Perhaps you need to spend time with God. You just pour out your heart to Him. You can do it right there where you're at. You can come up here. I can pray with you. But please hear me. Do not let this moment pass you by without doing business with God. He's here. And like I told those kids, he's seen every tear that you've shed. He knows your pain. He knows what you're going through. He wants to be there with you and help you, but you have to allow him to do that. Is it easy? Uh, No, it's not. But the rewards far outweigh the labor that I must go through. The peace that he gives that surpasses all understanding.
It's what we call the invitation. Now you're invited. If you want to come down here, you can. If you need to go across the ray and pray with somebody, feel free to do so. No one in here is going to make fun of you, laugh at you, or ridicule you, or even gossip about you. What we will do, we'll come alongside you and pray with you. We'll weep with you. We'll laugh with you. We'll celebrate the joys in your life. Because we're all on the same road going to the same place. We are all been bought with the precious blood of Christ. Which leads me to my next point before I close. Do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? I'm asking you if you attend church, remember, I'm asking, do you have a relationship with him? If you don't, that's where you got to start. And I'm telling you, he will change your life. It will never, never be the same. Let go. Let go of the hurt. Let go of your pride. Let go of anything that's holding you back. And come experience the almighty living God. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning and we thank you for your word. We're not worthy, but yet you have provided an atonement for our sins. By singing your only son. To pay the price that we never could. Father, I ask in his powerful name. That you knock down the walls. Indeed, that you would break the chains. That's holding us back. That we can experience freedom in Christ. We can experience the peace of Christ that you give. Oh God, continue to move. Continue to speak to us. And I pray that you give us all the courage and the boldness to step out. And repeat the words of your prophet Isaiah. Here I am. Here I am. Father, it's all about you. It's all about your message. It's all about your salvation. Everything is all about you. We thank you for your love. Use this as you will, and may your will be done.